that was a inquire I, that that blessed my heart. Thank you, Fred, for picking that. Thank you, choir, for singing it. You know, music is a powerful thing, and sometimes things things just hit you. And I was very touched today, Jordan. And what an amazing time of worship through music that we've had today. Can we give the Lord praise for that? Amen. This has just been all around, all across the board. Um, good, good stuff. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are in a series on doubt. Why do I doubt? We've looked at all sorts of doubts. A lot of it comes from baggage that we've had in the past. In fact, last week we looked at a message on anxiety. And often when we feel bad, we begin to doubt what we know is true. But today, today we're going to address historically, intellectually, all of those objections that we often have, or if you have turned on Nat Geo yesterday or the History Channel, you have found an abundance of programs that bring into question not only the existence of Jesus as a historical figure, but was Jesus just a man? All sorts of things pound into our lives. And some of you, I'm going to go ahead and relieve the tension. Why do we have a NATO helmet next to two books on Christian apologetics? What in the world does that mean? Here is what we're going to communicate today. What we're going to do today is, is investigate who Jesus was and can't... Check this out. We're, we're going to push ourselves into the corner as Christians today. Alright? If this were an MMA fight... What we would have done is tied both hands behind our back and pigeon-toed our own feet so that all we really have is a keto. That's what I thought. All right, martial arts people are with me. Aikido is where you use the other person's force. All right, we got we got somebody in the back tracking with us. Where you use the other person's energy, force, and violence against them. If you've ever seen a cheesy Steven Seagal movie, all right, I would ask for a show of hands, but some may feel convicted. What he would do often when someone would charge against him, he would move out of the way and trip them so that they would run themselves into the wall and they would be knocked out, and he didn't have to do hardly anything. So here's what. I'm not going to do. This may disturb some of you. Today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to stop. And then we're not going to use the Bible anymore. I said, whoa, Jeff, you told me every time I came, we were expository sermon. What is going on? Did he turn into a liberal? Alright, here's what we're going to do. We are going to, because we love people, because we love atheists and skeptics and unbelievers of all sorts, we're going to try something this morning called the minimal facts argument. Okay? I'm not going to try to prove the existence and the deity and the reality of the gospel of Jesus by using strictly the New Testament. Not only that, we're not going to use any of the early church fathers, people who were in that second or third generation after Jesus came, and they wrote all sorts of things about Him. And and in fact, you could reconstruct the New Testament except for 12 verses if you just read all of the church fathers. That's called evidence. What we're going to do today is look at what people say happened to Jesus, such as He didn't rise from the dead and so forth and so on. And in addition to that, We're going to demonstrate the reality of the gospel by using historical sources for people who didn't believe in the gospel. 
I'm going to stop right there. I want all of us to be on the same page of what we're going to try to do here today. There may be people listening uh, to the podcast on the internet. Some of you here today, you say, Jeff, man, if I could just be honest in my Sunday school class, I would raise my hand and say, how do I know if the Bible is true? We can say things like the Bible is supported by evidence. People say, but what if they jacked with the evidence? We're going to, in a sense, leave our best evidence to the side, and we're going to go give the other side their day, Sunday morning, Rocky Mount Baptist Church. We're going to look at unbelieving Jews, unbelieving pagans. Amen? Some of you are like, I'm still lost. What we're going to do is we're going to prove that it is reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead by using the other people's stuff. So let me give you the rundown on the helmet. Okay, The Bible tells us that the helmet of salvation is a part of what we need before we go into battle, right? And, and, and we teach this in sports, right? With kids that are in sports. We have, we have, if you're playing baseball, the kids have to wear a what? A helmet to protect their noggin. If you are playing football, you need a helmet to protect your head. If you're doing, let's say, sparring in boxing or martial arts, you can tell the guys in their 40s or 50 who didn't use headgear, right? The Rocky Syndrome, being punchy. And in fact, in the state or the Commonwealth of Virginia, it's illegal for any of us to get on a motorcycle without a helmet. Why does the Bible emphasize right thinking and protecting your mind and having right thought patterns? Well, it's because the way that we truly think reality is, is going to influence the way that we live in reality. For example, if I'm really not sure if this is real, if I'm really not sure if Jesus rose from the dead, then even if I really try to have a good quiet time and a prayer time, in the back of my mind I'm like, well, I don't know about my prayers hitting the ceiling and coming back down. It's that I don't know if they made it through and there's no one out there. You see. So, what we believe about what actually happens is going to influence our life. Now, let, me, let me recommend to you two books. Number one, if you are taking notes, and can you all see that? Back row Baptist, okay, all right. Um, I always enjoy that. This is a beast of a book. Not only can you develop great arguments, not only can you have a lot of questions answered, but you can bludgeon someone if they try to mug you. Amen? Praise the name of Jesus. It can also serve as a self-defense tool. Look at this thing. This is a book called Christian Apologetics, A Comprehensive Faith Case for Biblical Faith by Douglas Grutheist. You can get this online for about 25 bucks. This is not the type of book that you have to read all the way through. This is the type of book that whenever you have a question, you look in the index and you can find it. It is absolutely awesome. Please uh, get it. I'm serious. Buy it and give it away to somebody or use it for yourself. Secondly, as far as did the resurrection happen, Josh McDowell, former atheist, uh, some of you have grown up in rough homes. His dad uh, was an alcoholic who used to beat his mom, caused him not to believe in God. He set out as a college student to prove that God didn't exist and found out that he did and God saved him. And now he writes books for Campus Crusade for Christ. He's written like something like 30 or 40 something books. But here's the thing about Josh McDowell. Sometimes people have a problem with Christian authors. You know that he doesn't get one cent. All of it goes to Campus Crusade for Christ. He signed that over when he was a young guy. There's a book called Josh McDowell, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Absolutely phenomenal, easy to access, get it, alright? 
saying, Jeff, you already asked me to give money for the gospel. Now you're telling me to buy books. Seriously, please, for the glory of God, you need to have both of the. I don't normally do this in stresses. If you're a believer, you need to have these two books on your bookshelf. Are we all clear? Because we, all right. Okay, good, good. It's kind of like a classroom study. I don't make anybody mad. Like, oh my gosh, she's yelling at me. My preacher hates me. But these are absolutely important. So let's go ahead and jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, walk through verses 1 through 7. And we're going to try to do something that we will probably not have time to do, but we're going to give it a good old Rocky Mount Baptist Church try. Y'all ready for this? All right, let's do it. Y'all okay? I'm kind of fired. Man, this is going to be good stuff. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, and if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. What did the Apostle Paul receive? Here's the message. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And He, speaking of Jesus, appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which means that they died. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So here's what the Bible says happened. Those of you who are history buffs, you know, the old pagan philosopher Epicharmus said, quote, it is true that skepticism, or actually, wrong quote here, he said, be sober and remember to distrust. These are the sinews of the mind. And the sinews, if you've ever looked at someone who's worked out a lot and they flex, you can notice the little ripples. That's a sinew. It's what makes a muscle a muscle. So the question for us, is it true that the smartest people are skeptics and don't believe in the gospel? Is it true that skepticism means that you are superior intellectually? Quite the opposite. I want to be very clear this morning. If you are a skeptic, you are an intellectual lazy slob. Let me explain. If you're a skeptic, you're not necessarily investigating truth claims. All you do is sit back and you have such a high standard of proof that no one even scientifically could ever prove to you. Like, prove to me that the world was not created five minutes ago with the appearance of age. Can't do it. But is it reasonable to think that the world has been here for longer than five minutes? Yes. Right? Like, 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 prove to me, prove to me empirically, scientifically, that what the Nazis did is different than what someone does in a hospital to help someone has a broken leg. Can't prove that scientifically, but you can prove it morally, right? A skeptic is a lazy person. Intellectually. So my charge, if you're here listening online, is if you are a skeptic, you need to do your homework. I'm going to get this out of my system and I'm going to feel a lot better. One of the things that really bothers me is people who say, I don't believe in Christ, I'm not willing to follow Christ, but they don't ever research anything. That is the dumbest thing ever. Why? If there's 1% chance that this is true and Jesus actually rose from the dead, and the fact that if that's true, He's coming back to judge the world, then don't you think that we owe it to our own 
benefit to at least investigate? Investigate it. There's something else I want to make you aware of. There's something called the New Atheism. Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. Now, the old school atheism of the last century said that if you're a Christian, if you, if you believe in God, you're not a very smart person, but you're just irrational. New atheism says not only are you irrational, but you are dangerous. Let me give you an article from the USA Today. The article is called, quote, Richard Dawkins to Atheist Rally. Show contempt for faith. It was an atheist rally several weeks ago in Washington, D.C., and Richard Dawkins encouraged the atheist to actively make fun of Christians. So some of you were raised in a different time, even than I was. You remember when the Bible was read at school, right? Prayer at school? Not only does that not happen today in most places, but your students, if they believe in God, are called this is the thing. If you insult someone's intelligence, that's the worst, right? Like you can bump into somebody, knock them down, say, I'm so sorry, help them back up, give them, some, you know, whatever. But if you insult someone's intellect, you have destroyed their self-esteem. Your students will be called uh, anti-intellectual and even dangerous. So here's the thing for us who follow Christ. Being prepared to give answers is not an option. It's a duty. And if you're the type of person here today, you say, Jeff, I've been saved. I love Jesus. I love my church. I love the music that we do. I love, you know, uh, everybody in my Sunday school class. But I'm not really looking to look into finding answers. Shame on you. You need to repent for being intellectually lazy and thinking it's all about you. Are we okay this morning? Be very, very, very clear. Very, very straightforward. The Christian life is not just about you and Jesus. The Christian life is about Jesus in you, revealed to other people who don't know Him. You see, well, I, Jeff, I don't, I don't know if I can get a, you know, a degree in apologetics. I'm not saying that. I'm saying buy the book. Right? Study about it. Now, for a lot of people, too, in America, we see this change in the culture. You notice the little change in the culture? It's always, for the most part, been normal for Christians to be made fun of. In fact, there's a, an effigy that was found on an archaeological site. There's an early anti-Christian graffiti that showed a man kneeling to worship a crucified man, but the crucified man had the head of a donkey. That's called, when Christianity was new, people said that if you were a Christian, you were a fool. Even in, in, in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, it says that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. It's an abnormal culture. But please follow me. It's an abnormal culture that would say it's okay to follow Jesus. Throughout the course of human history, the average has been, if you follow Christ, you're a fool. And not only are you a fool, but we will persecute you, we will even kill you. So for those of us who've been raised in a time in the U.S. where it's been okay to love the Lord, we are very, very much in the minority. We all tracking with that? Now here's something I want to say to a skeptic. Uh, Guth said, we have got used to the fact that people make fun of things they don't understand. And if you're not a Christian here today, if you've never been born again, but you say, Jeff, I don't like church, I don't like the people there, well, you know, there's some people in church that you can find that are unsaved. 
How do you know that? Jesus said, by their fruit. If you know a mean, hateful, spiteful, unloving, self-righteous person in church, it's not saying that you're judging them, but Jesus said those people in the church where their fruits show that they've never been saved will end up on judgment day. Jesus will say, I never knew you. But if you're going to reject Christianity, don't reject a caricature of it, right? Don't, don't push Jesus away because of someone who doesn't know Jesus, but say that they do. Don't push Jesus away because you knew of a really messed up preacher or a church that had drama, right? Don't do that. If you reject Christianity, reject Christ. And when you see Christ for who He is, you won't want to reject Him when He opens your eyes. So in these verses that we read, we see three central facts. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that it transforms lives. Verses 1 and 2, Paul speaks about those who were saved and those who were changed. Also, in verses 3 and 4, the resurrection of Jesus Christ fulfills prophecy. This is what the Bible says. The Old Testament things are written such as a Messiah would come, He would die, He would rise again, but even people at that time didn't understand it. Number 3, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was also verified by eyewitnesses. Now this is, if you study history... Whenever you see an ancient historical account that references eyewitnesses, that's like saying they got it on videotape. Because you would ne- listen, you would never reference eyewitnesses if they didn't see what you said they did. Right? Like it would make no sense for Paul to write to the church at Corinth to say there's 500 people there with you, you know the ones who've died, you know the ones who are still alive, and go talk to them. That's what he's saying. Like he's saying to anybody who picks this up, if you're alive in the first century, go to Corinth and you can find people, 500 or so, and the ones who haven't died will say that I saw them. Now, why would Paul make that up? You don't make up eyewitnesses. So it follows that it's verified by that. Now, here's here's an objection. People say, now, now, Jeff, could it be that the belief that Jesus rose from the dead, could it be that that was added in later? No. Let me give you a statement from Paul Barnett in his book, The Birth of Christianity, The First 20 Years. He comments on chapter 15, verse 3, and I quote, Here then we are very close to the faith of the church of God in its early months. Quote, the faith Paul attempted to destroy was the one and very same thing as, quote, the teaching of the apostles in short Christology. In other words, where did Paul get this message from? Remember what happened just a few years after Jesus had ascended into heaven? Paul was there, right? Like, I mean, re- really short, really short time. And there was a young man named Stephen. Stephen was what some people would call a deacon. Stephen was stoned to death. Paul when he was Saul, sat there and looked on. But then he got saved on the road to Damascus, and then he went to a place uh, over in Arabia for about three years. What did Paul learn about the gospel? He learned about the gospel from what happened with the gospel. Well, who was there? The disciples. Remember the disciples met with him? So, So we're talking about, in terms of history, this is like a millisecond, the report about the event for when the event actually happened. For example, I've got a paper, if you want it, I can email it to you. I did some study about the historical Muhammad and the historical Buddha, and I was blown away by how little evidence we have that's close to the time of both Muhammad and Buddha. Buddha, you're talking about, bro, hundreds of years. Like hundreds of years before we have the first source. Where in Jesus, we've got first generation. Same thing with Muhammad. And I'm not saying Muhammad didn't live. He definitely lived. He's a false prophet. 
But even our records, our historical uh, manuscripts that we have that tell us about his early life, they're removed hundreds of years. But yet, in the New Testament, in fact, this is so crazy, there are over 25,000 manuscripts, bits and pieces of the New Testament. The only thing that comes closest to that is, uh, I believe it's uh, Homer's Iliad, which is in the 600 range. So Paul's saying that at the very beginning, this is what happened. I want to say something about terms of evidence. Now, often we watch TV, okay? And we watch TV and a program is presented to us called like something like, Did Jesus Really Live? I, 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 was just, I was upset yesterday. I, more, normally, I get, I get fired up about the preaching because it's God's Word. Amen, church? All right? It's powerful. But I, I was, because I'm a nerd, and I'm, I'm in this, right? I, y'all know, I'm in a PhD program, and it's hard. Okay? And we're forced to read everybody. Atheists, agnostics. I've got a course coming up in the, in the summer called Problem of Evil. We're going to look at all of, I guess, what Christians would call the other side. And I was beside myself when the program on that geo and the History Channel, they go find these whacked out scholars. They're not even scholars. They've got like a PhD from the, you know, first online university of Podunk Holler. I'm like, are, are we serious? Is this a joke? It, I know what it was. Comedy Central got linked to the History Channel. When you, please hear this, whenever you see one second of television, every second is edited. I'm not talking about Fox News or CNN necessarily. I'm not, not political. I'm talking about something that says it's a history program. And often they bring somebody with the PhD title or the doctor title, but they are so on the fringe that nobody in the academic community takes them serious. It's kind of like the crazy guy on Andy Griffith, right? Like he's always there, but nobody's going to go to him and say, what should we do with the town? But when you see stuff on TV, often this is what happens. They've got somebody with the title who has absolutely, absolutely no authority in the academic realm. So I just want to say that, and I feel so much better. So let's go through a few quick theories here. Number one, a theory people say what happened to Jesus, it was the swoon theory. He didn't really die on the cross. He was kind of knocked out unconscious when he was in the tomb. The cool air revived him. He got up, pushed the stone, which weighed hundreds of pounds, maybe even more, out of the way. And he showed up to his disciples, and they worshipped him as the risen Lord over death. If you believe that, I've got one phrase for you. Don't do drugs. That is absolutely the dumbest thing. And here's the thing. We're not saying Christians are arrogant. I'm talking about secular scholars have disbanded with that. But when you go on infidels.com, they're like, well, swoon theory. I'm like, are you kidding me? Y'all okay? Is this scaring anybody? All right, let's make sure. What did Jesus suffer? He suffered being beaten with rods, beaten with fists, crown of thorns smashed upon his head, back and legs lacerated from the cat of nine tails, nailed upon a cross, punctured with a Roman spear, and yet people say that he didn't die. Here's the thing that they fail to let you know if you see a program about that, is that if you are a Roman soldier, if you miss your kill stroke with the spear, when your victim's on the cross, and they somehow get away, you get what their sentence was. Wouldn't you think if you were a Roman soldier or a Roman soldierette, that that would serve as motivation to make sure that the job was done. For me, it would. 
So conclusion, it doesn't make sense. Here's the thing. If that was true, the disciples would have brought Jesus to the ER and not worshipped Him. Imagine he, how He would have been showing up like that. I'm like, bro, we need to get you the murder. Like, what? Number two, hallucination theory. People say, what happens if people just hallucinated and they thought that they saw Jesus when they really saw someone else? Well, you can do any type of psychological study um, and they will tell you that the theories now, this has been demonstrated, this is empirical evidence, that whenever groups have hallucinations, they do not see the same thing. They don't. It's been disproven. Number three, the wrong tomb theory. People say, well, the disciples and Mary just went to the wrong tomb. It was empty. They're like, oh, Jesus is not here. But they got the address wrong. Okay, let's think really hard about that. If that's true, then why didn't the Jews and the Romans just say, oh, no, no, it's this tomb. You got it wrong. And they're like, oh. The Jews and the Romans would have loved to have done that because that would have solved their quote-unquote problem. Number four, the theft theory. The theory that the disciples stole the body of Jesus and then claimed that it had been that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now here's something we have to understand. The guard that was posted at the tomb was not two Roman soldiers in miniskirts with spears, okay? It was a detachment of Roman soldiers, right? It was a detachment of Roman soldiers. And so what you're talking about is you would have had to have a group of terrified 11 men. Most of them, like you had Matthew, who was the tax guy. You had uh, fishermen. You're not talking about soldiers. And then for no reason, they're going to go try to take on a whole detachment of Roman guards and then roll back the stone, steal Jesus' body, and then create a lie that's going to get them all killed. That's, uh, yeah, that's logical. But what if the guards fell asleep? Once again, if you fell asleep, if you allowed something like that to happen, if you were on guard, you would be killed. That would serve as very powerful motivation. In fact, A.B. Bruce said, quote, the ordinary punishment for falling asleep on the watch. No, not if people got away, but falling asleep on the watch was death. Could the soldiers be persuaded by any amount of money to run such a risk? No. Money doesn't do you any good if you're dead, right? Finally, number five, the intentional fraud theory. The disciples deliberately lied about Jesus being raised from the dead. Here's the question. Uh, Gary Habermas says this, liars do not make good martyrs. If you're going to make up a lie, it's usually to get out of trouble. We all remember what it was like to be as a little kid, Right? Make up a lie to get out of trouble, and then they catch you in your more trouble. Create lies to get things or to get out of trouble. Well, if they made up the story about Jesus, then what they got themselves was martyrdom. You don't lie for that purpose. And somebody's saying, hold on, could it be that the early church just jumped to the conclusion that Jesus had risen from the dead? Well, if you know anything about Jewish culture during that time, the concept of the resurrection of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, was totally, they had no concept of it. Remember the the disciples, Jesus is saying stuff like, I am going to the cross, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried for three days, and then I will rise from the dead. And the disciples are like, what? Didn't get it. It's not because they were necessarily dumb, but it's because in that day and time, they didn't understand the Messiah was supposed to die first. It was a brand new thing. But if that's what actually happened, that's what you got to say. Then somebody says, now hold on, Jeff. Miracles are impossible. You can't have somebody who's actually clinically flatlined for a number of days, and all of a sudden they get up. Miracles are only impossible if God doesn't exist. Do you see what you're doing? If that's your objection, what you're saying is that I'm assuming naturalism, I'm assuming atheism first, and then from that, I'm assuming that miracles can't happen. Well, why don't we back up a step and say, 
what about the existence of God? We've got to understand if God actually exists. And if God actually exists, then miracles are possible. We all tracking with that, right? Like if God does exist, then it is conceivable that God could temporarily uh, supersede the laws of nature and raise His Son from the dead. Bertrand Russell, the most famous generation of the last, um, atheist of the last century, said, when someone said, Mr. Russell, what if you die and God really does exist? What are you going to say to him? And Bertrand Russell said, I would say this to God, Sir, why did you take such pains to hide yourself? I'm just going to be very frank and honest today. What does not get mentioned about Bertrand Russell often is that he was probably, he was a very active womanizer. Just stay with me on this. If you're a very active person with jumping into bed and committing fornication, adultery, you're going to not be very inclined to believe in a God who says, I am holy. Bertrand Russell's lifestyle incapacitated him from being able to truly believe. It's been said that our our morality influences our philosophy. So let me give you a few statements from some pagans that have to do about Jesus' historicity. Tacitus, the Roman historian, the most well-known Roman historian, said, speaking of the persecution of Nero... Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, or another name for Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered extreme penalty, crucifixion, during the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, at the hands of one of our own procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, read that the gospel, Thus checked for the moment when they started killing Christians, again broke out not only in Judea, but even in Rome. Do you know what Tacitus just said? Jesus Christ was killed by the guy that the Bible said who was presiding over the trial, Pontius Pilate. Not only that, but the message of Jesus that the Romans and the Jews tried to destroy in Jerusalem not only grew there, but it grew in Rome. Suetonius, also a Roman historian, says, because the Jews at Rome caused continuous disturbance at the instigation of Christus, another name for Christ, he expelled them from the city. If you read the book of James, all of the church had been spread out because of persecution, and then they were kicked out of Rome. For what? The dispute among the Jews of whether Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. Some of you are familiar with Flavius Josephus, the Jew. He said, at this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and among other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. There's another version of Josephus that says he was the Christ. And you don't want to say that when you're working for the Roman government after the Roman government just destroyed Judea in 70 AD. That's like cheering for your competitors. Thallus, the pagan Roman, in 52 AD, around about, he said... 
speaking. Remember the, uh, the reference in the cross that there was the darkness when Jesus was crucified? Here's the way Thallus, a pagan, tries to explain that away. On the whole world there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake. Remember the Bible, right? Pagan guy saying what the Bible already said. And many places in Judea and other districts, they were thrown down. This darkness appears to be without reason an eclipse of the sun. And a Christian writer in the 3rd century said, well, how could that be? Because that happened on Passover, and Passover it's a full moon. You can't have an eclipse on a full moon. Let me also give you Pliny the Younger. He persecuted Christians, he said, about them when he was killing them as he observed the Christians. They, the Christians, were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light. They sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor to deny a trust when they should be called up to deliver deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate. Then they reassembled to partake of food, Lord's Supper, of food of an ordinary and innocent kind. This is a statement by a pagan who killed Christians who says this is what the Christians believed and practiced. Also, the Acts of Pontius Pilate. Um, it says, uh, it references, I'm not going to go through all that, it references that Jesus was killed. There's also a pagan um, named Phlegon who um, referenced um, Jesus. And uh, he said, let's see here. Although falling into confusion about some things which refer to Peter, this is a commentator's note, if they referred to Jesus, but testified that the result of Jesus' prophecies corresponded to his predictions. Also, the Talmud, which was the Jewish apologetic against Jesus, says that Yeshu, the Hebrew word for Jesus, was hanged on Passover Eve. Hanged is a reference for crucifixion. Forty days previously, the herald had cried, He is being led out for stoning because he has practiced sorcery and led Israel astray. And then it speaks of Jesus being hanged on Passover Eve. Now thinkers, go with me on this. The Jewish record says that the Jews wanted to what Jesus? Stone him. Why didn't the Jews stone him? The Jews don't crucify people. It's because possibly what the Bible said happened and the Romans intervened and the Romans hanged Jesus by way of crucifixion. So even the Jewish record speaks um, about the truthfulness of the gospel. The Lucian, the pagan Greek, speaks about in Acts 2 to where all the Christians had their, quote, common property. And then uh, Marabar Serapion speaks. He's another pagan Syrian. He speaks of Jesus and it says, what advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? It was just after their kingdom was abolished. God justly avenged these three wise men. He speaks of um, two other philosophers. And then he says, finally, nor did the wise king die for good. He lived on the teaching that he had been given. See, all through pagan history, the pagans are saying factually the same thing that the Bible said. Everybody that I just read from did not hold the faith in Jesus Christ. You can establish from a minimal facts argument that the Bible is true. So let's stop here. You say, Jeff, what if I believe that this actually happened? Is that enough for me to have a relationship with God? No, what must happen is that we must come to the place to where we see our sins as having separated us from God. And at that point, we make the leap of faith to trust in the Lord. 